Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Hello, I am Gabe Gonzalez, and you're listening to the Queerty Podcast, a brand new weekly show from Queerty and Forever Dog, where I'll cover news, politics, and pop culture impacting the LGBTQ community and invite a guest to discuss, dish a little bit, and just generally keep it cute and informed. I am back from my brief... (laughs) hiatus. It was not a a willing one. Um, I am still recovering from COVID, but I'm very glad to be back. And thank you to the amazing Jay Jordan for filling in last week. I know you all had fun with him and Ira. I'm sure you did. But the weekend with your cool hot uncle is over and your favorite mom is back. It's me. And today we're tackling some of my favorite headlines for the week. We're talking about the comeback no one saw coming this year. Bathhouses. That's another thing from the 80s. We're rebooting. And the only thing queer people enjoy fighting about more than Lady Gaga's discography, award season. It's starting specifically with the Golden Globe nominations announced this week. We've also got an incredible guest today, a hilarious, multi-talented writer and performer who plays a very convincing conspiracy theorist, but not the racist kind that gets you elected to Congress. Shakina Nafak is here, and we'll be talking to her about some of her work on shows like Difficult People and the NBC show Connecting and so much more exciting stuff. Shakina's truly making the best of this quarantine, and I, I want to know her secret. But before we do that, we are going to go over some of this week's most illuminating stories, you can read about more on QWERTY.com. And of course, we will be ending our show playing the same game we play every week, Let Me Get You Cancelled, which should be a very exciting one with our guest. But first, it is time to catch her up. So city officials have been working on repealing a ban in San Francisco that could bring them one step closer to bringing back bathhouses. They've been working on repealing this ban that came about in 1984. It was a move made by city officials in response to the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, but one that a lot of queer people felt was based more on fear than actual public health. And it took away meaningful and safe spaces that people would congregate in, queer people would congregate in. The ban specifically targeted what are legally referred to as adult sex venues that operate in spaces behind closed doors, i.e. private rooms. Bathhouses have been targeted by police and government officials in homophobic raids throughout history, including one in 1981 that sparked what historians call Canada Stonewall, where a Toronto police raid called Operation Soap resulted in hundreds of arrests and days of protests that transformed into Toronto's Pride Week. So Toronto can actually say they started their Pride Week with a bathhouse. Maybe it's not the best story, but I like that. I like that we're looking back at history and acknowledging the weird spaces we had to inhabit, the underground spaces we had to inhabit to find community. And the Ariston bathhouse raid that happened in New York City in 1903. 
Marie is actually considered the first explicitly anti-gay bathhouse raid in U.S. history, where 34 people were arrested and 16 were charged with sodomy. That's we actually had laws prohibiting stuff like that. And they were on the book in a lot of states until very recently, which is wild. All that said, San Francisco's Board of Supervisors has repealed this almost 40 year old ban in their city. And whenever we're not in the middle of a pandemic, maybe we'll see how these businesses begin to reemerge. You know, add that to your impossibly long to do list for, quote, whenever this is all over, end quote. Our next story of the day marks a beginning, the beginning of something far more contentious than bathhouses among gay men. And we are talking about award season. The Golden Globe nominations were announced this week, and they're receiving mixed reviews, but no one ever agrees about award season anyway, right? There are a lot of queer nominations to celebrate, though. Films centering queer stories saw nominations in the major film categories like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in Best Drama, The Prom in Best Comedy or Musical, and The Two of Us in Best Foreign Film. Schitt's Creek also earned nominations in all the major categories. Really exciting. Queer actors were also nominated, like Sarah Paulson, Jillian Anderson, and Jim Parsons, all of which are being honored for their television work this year. And three women were nominated in the directing category. That's three out of five, which is a very nice break from the usual onslaught of cisgender men, right? But as always, there are some baffling decisions, some decisions folks might not be excited about. Uh, Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You was left out of any television or acting categories. And a controversial performance from James Corden was surprisingly the only acting nomination for The Prom. While he isn't the only straight actor portraying a queer person in a nominated film, you know, we've got Andrew Day, who portrays bisexual blues singer Billie Holiday, the U.S. versus Billie Holiday. And we've got Viola Davis portraying the openly queer blues singer Ma Rainey in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Corden's portrayal of a gay character in The Prom generated criticism for approaching it in a, in a way that felt like a caricature at times, right? Leaning into that like sibilant S sound that's kind of reminiscent of stereotypical gay voice, right? It's the voice like my bullies in elementary school would put on to mock me. Like, I don't find it offensive at this point. I'm just, I'm exhausted, right? I just find it tiresome and a little stereotypical. But some queer people didn't mind at all, right? We are not a monolith. Our community will feel different ways about it. Personally, I guess I just wish a story centering queer love between two young women saw one of those two young women nominated. Or even Meryl Streep for bringing her usual level of professionalism through a terrible wig. But it's the Golden Globes. There's a small group of voters and a lot of lobbying that happens. So take it with a grain of salt and enjoy what you enjoy, all right? I'm not here to yuck your yum. And finally, we've got one more story this week that celebrates someone whose life and work is being commemorated by artists all over the internet, all over the globe. This week, we are mourning the loss of Sophie, the legendary electronic music producer and performer. Sophie was often recognized for her boundary-pushing sound and bold experimental approach to electronic music. And in 2018, after the release of her single, It's Okay to Cry, which is beautiful. I listened to it so many times this week. She publicly came out as trans and told Paper Magazine, coming out means there's no longer an expectation based on the body you were born into or how your life should play out and how it should end. She was commemorated this week by artists Christine and the Queens, MNEK, Monroe Bergdorf, as well as collaborators like Rihanna, Vince Staples, and Charlie XCX, who wrote, I will miss her terribly, her smile, her laugh, her dancing in the studio, her gentle, inquisitive voice, her cutting personality, her ability to command a room without even trying, her incredible vision and mind. I wish I had told her more how special she was, not just her music, 
but her as a person. They collaborated very recently on a lot of genuinely fun, energizing projects together, but truly such a fitting commemoration to such an impactful artist. And let the folks around you know how special they are anytime. You don't need a reason. Just go for it. But right now, it's time to talk about somebody I would like to celebrate and whose work is making the world better. You know our next guest from their work on shows like Difficult People and Transparent, or even more recently, Connecting, where they became the first trans person cast in a lead recurring role on a network sitcom. She's also working on a virtual play with the Williamstown Theater Festival that I just listened to and is fantastic, and is soon to voice a very creepy and stylish animated character in an upcoming web series. Please welcome to the pod the only Twitter follow I have never regretted, the legendary and iconic Shakina Nafak. I have a lot I'd like to ask you about, but first I want to talk a little bit about you. First, I'm going to ask the question I, I like to ask all our guests. I've stopped saying, how are you? And I've started asking, how are you getting through it? How are you holding up? Well, I've really have shifted gears in a big way this year. I turned 40 in December and that was sort of like a wake up call for me because I feel like I'm like sort of perpetually youthful as like a trans woman. I've just come into my own in the last few years and I feel like younger than maybe some of my like internal organs would care to admit. (laughs) And so I just been thinking about ways to harness this downtime as it were, to like re-fortalize my health. That's been a great way to come into 2021 because 2020 like knocked me out. You know, I was able to do a lot of great work, which I hope we can talk about. But energetically, I just like I was so depleted by the time we got to the end of the year. I felt like I was swimming the last lap of some sort of relay and I I wasn't even sure I was going to like hit the edge. So I can't say that it's giving me joy because it feels like I'm taking on a level of discipline that makes me more uncomfortable than happy. But I know that it's going to have like a payoff for when we do come out of this. And I'm going to feel like sort of stronger and more capable. And part of that is also rededicating myself to aspects of my transition that I felt like I never had time for picking up those pieces and seeing how they fit together in this new moment. And, And I think that will give me some gender euphoria in the long run, too. I love that. I love that phrase, gender euphoria. That's really lovely. Yeah, well, people always talk about dysphoria and it's like, actually, there are moments when gender feels really right. You know, we should celebrate those. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And I, you know, I do want to talk about these projects. You have recently written and starred in a play that you can hear digitally as part of the Williamstown Theater Festival. I want to talk about that project. It's called the Chonbury International Hotel and Butterfly Club. And it seems to draw from some of your own experiences and your own transition. And it's got a really incredible cast of trans women that are helping you tell that story. Talk to me a little bit more about the genesis of this project and how you go about, I guess, sort of producing a play or or even a play reading during a pandemic sounds like a, a wild accomplishment, truly. Well, wild is definitely the word for it. It's largely autobiographical. The play is based off my experience going to Thailand to the Suporn Clinic and staying at the Chan Inter Hotel with a bunch of other trans women who are also undergoing gender confirmation surgery. And I came back from that experience with just a sincere debt of gratitude for those women and the ways that sisterhood supported me through the hardest experience of my life. And I thought like the only way I knew how to sort of honor them was to create something for them. And so I started writing this play that was very much in the style of those old like 1940s, like great American hotel comedies, Mm -hmm. because I just thought there was something so charming about this gaggle of trans ladies like sitting in the lobby (laughs) of a grand hotel. And actually, the play was set to have its world premiere at Williamstown Theater Festival this past summer, which Mm -hmm. would have been huge and very exciting. But of course, that got canceled like the rest of theater. And then the artistic director of Williamstown, Mandy Greenfield, she had this 
you know, crazy idea to put the whole season on Audible as radio plays. And, you know, as you were saying, like, how do you put together a play reading? Well, new plays really only exist in the world as readings until Mm -hmm. they're performed on stage. So I'd actually heard the play aloud with a bunch of different trans actors here in New York City. You know, over the years that I've been developing it, some members of the cast that you hear on the recording have been with me the whole time. Other people have come in and out. So there's really a butterfly club of the butterfly club. Mm -hmm. We recorded it all from people were like in their, you know, makeshift closet recording studio and Wi-Fi outages and sirens going off because it was still like New York (laughs) in the time of protests. And it was a really like behemoth technological undertaking to record a cast of 13 at the same time. And then the sound design by Joanna Fang is so incredible. We actually were blessed enough to have this Emmy Award winning trans Asian American Foley artist create the soundscape for this world. So you really feel immersed in the hotel down to like footsteps and teacups and just, you know, the sounds of of the space. So for people who are missing going to the theater, putting on your headphones and delving into that play really Mm. does feel like a night out on Broadway. Truly. Yeah. And it's such an interesting hurdle to try to create the vulnerability that that script really demands from a distance. Right. And you feel like you're there, like you're just sitting in the lobby and and chatting about these deeply personal, but like illuminating and and uplifting things. It's just such an accomplishment. And thank you so much for sharing it with me. I do hope folks check it out. It's truly stunning. Yeah. You know, I've got to say the biggest first for me was you as Lola, where you were the first trans conspiracy theorist on (laughs) TV comedy. I've got to say, I love that show. I loved you in that role. And I started rewatching the series during the pandemic. And I was like, we need them back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We just I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> I, I've talked to um, almost all the cast members about my desire to do a very difficult Christmas, which is basically like oh. a Hanukkah movie. Hopefully, Julie and I can figure out a way to like craft that pitch. I miss those characters and I miss that cast so much. And Lola was such a gift for me because, first of all, she's so much like who I am in general. <laughs> and she yeah. did break ground for trans representation because we've never really seen a trans character being the agent of their own comedy before. Mm-hmm. Her badassery and her political give no fucksness is so true to my own heart. And when I got to kind of come out into the world professionally with that brand, it really gave me the permission to bring my full self to the industry and to my platform. And so I feel like I have taken Lola with me everywhere I've gone Mm. since. And that the freedom to speak my mind, NBC canceled uh, or postponed an episode of Connecting to put on the Trump town hall after he backed out of the debates. I just like wrote some tweet being like, shame on y'all and spark a public critique of the network. Mm-hmm. And I could do that because of my like particular place in the industry that Lola really gave me. You're so open about your views and, and sort of what you want to represent that I feel like, you know, a network can't even turn around and be like, oh my goodness, like they know yeah. what they're getting. They know, know what they're right? getting. Yes. yes. Yeah, which is so great because because I'm out here, you know, I'm trying to develop new work that will help me continue working. <laughs> and <laughs> you'd think that like, okay, there's a certain risk implied with aligning oneself with an outspoken trans 
activist, but all I'm going to do is call you to a higher order. And so why not like live up to that? I mean, the political situation surrounding last fall and the untimely cancellation of connecting really made me look at how precious those moments are when you're given the megaphone. You got to know what you want to say. You got to know who you're passing that megaphone to, to like diversify the voice. Mm. You have to be ready for that megaphone to be snatched from your hands at any moment. So I hope to like build more. But in the meantime, I'm really proud of what I was able to put out there. Yeah, absolutely. You should be. It's also great. And that's such great advice about, you know, the megaphone, right? What you're going to do with it, who you're passing it to. Really valuable advice. So thank you for that. For sure. All right. We are going to take a a little break and we will be right back where I'll be asking Shakina about the season of Drag Race and who we might see on daytime TV replacing a certain TV host. Uh, We'll talk about that soon. And we are back with Shakina Nafak, uh, today's guest on the Queerty Pod. I want to ask a few questions about pop culture, the things that are are truly blowing up the group chat right now, taking over my Twitter timeline. I got to ask, how are you feeling about this season of Drag Race? It seemed like you were very invested on the Tamisha Iman and Candy Muse battle from last week. I do want to say I love them both. And I also want to say that this podcast does not condone bullying cast members or their family members, so cut it out if you're doing that and you're listening. But now let's talk about the drama. Yeah. Shakina, how'd you feel about last week, uh, specifically that episode of Untucked? First of all, Simone owns everything. So like for me, that's like, I'm already calling it. I mean, when you have to go around the circle and ask everyone if they think you're arrogant, you're arrogant. You know, so it's also awkward whoopsies. to put people on the spot oh, and be like, yeah. do you think this thing about me? It's like, oh, well, yeah. Ugh. And it was just so interesting the way Candy was like so quick to read Elliot, not about Elliot's work, but about who Elliot is as a person. And then as soon as Tamisha Mon said something about Candy, it was like, oh, I'm unable to take what I dish. But I know that like, you know, they love the drama and this isn't, you know, RuPaul's best friends race. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's like an incentive to go off like in terms Definitely. of like building a brand. I was really troubled by the toxic masculinity of that outburst and the ways in which in drag, we can sometimes codify toxic masculinity as fierceness. And Mm, I -hmm. think that's just something really important to investigate. And I love the drama. And I know that we watch the show for those moments. But yeah, it just troubled me. That's interesting. I, you know, I hadn't thought about that perspective. But I think there's there's something to be said there, right? Because I think the show traditionally does cast cisgender men as competitors. Those have been the majority of the contestants. A lot of contestants who've been on that show have said, I'm a dude in a wig, right? Right. We also are so lucky to have a trans mask contestant. We've had trans women compete on the show before, but it, it is interesting to kind of think about that dynamic. And, you know, um, we're dealing with somebody like Tamisha Iman, who's like an elder and an icon in the community. That's right. But I think, you know, there is also some truth to Candy kind of saying that often contestants of color are more, I guess, particularly, I don't know, examined or maybe criticized more harshly than some of the white contestants. But I think that's also a, an interesting layer to that conversation I haven't seen kind of brought in. To what extent can cis queer men also perpetuate toxic masculinity? And when do we sort of deploy it in moments of vulnerability? Because it's what we've we've been taught to do or what we've exactly. always done, right? I, interestingly, I'm Puerto Rican. And it's like the volume of candy was like normal for me. <laughs> but the intensity uh, was like, oh, sh- she's mad. Like, I know, yeah. I know that voice. And I have deployed that voice before. And sure. it's not a good one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, 
the volume is one thing, but the, the direction in which you're deploying it and how you're deploying it is another. I love seeing the contestants just kind of diffuse on social media because for them, this was years or Absolutely. months ago. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm glad we can love them and they've moved on. But whew, yeah, I mean, she came was... back to set by the end of the episode to apologize the best she could. Totally, yeah. But when I see like men in dresses yelling, I think that's what they think of us. There's a part of me that's like, this is giving them exactly what they want. Them meaning like cis transphobic people, whether they like it or not, in the eyes of so many uninformed people, RuPaul's Drag Race contestants are still ambassadors for gender nonconformity across the board. And that mm -hmm. includes trans people that might not wish to be represented that way, but still get lumped in because so many mm -hmm. people don't even understand the difference between transness and drag. Oh, fully. Yeah. We're seeing so much of that in, uh, you know, we talked about this on the show last week. We're seeing Chase Strangio talking about all these laws at the state level, um, right. kind of having this impact and just fully dehumanizing trans folks and using language that misgenders trans individuals to try to insist that young men want to play in women's sports. Ridiculous and it's harmful and it's shameful. And I, I know I'm kind of like preaching to the choir with the listenership here. You know, I think any, any moment we can take to remind ourselves to spread a, a bit more compassion and thought regarding gender nonconformity and the LGBT community. Yeah, I almost want to like step beyond gender nonconformity. I've been thinking a lot about biological diversity in so far mm -hmm. as the destruction of our environment and mm. the ways that we're being cautioned against the eradication of species that actually are codependent in, in our multiple ecosystems. And, and this is like a new poorly developed thought. But trans people for me reflect that same sort of biological diversity that are facing the threat of eradication. If we can start to think about honing our minds to celebrate biological diversity across species, then we're really saying that we need all of the different types of manifestations of, of the beings that we have on this planet. And when we all exist and we're all equally protected and able to thrive, then we achieve like a new level of interdependence that allows us to grow more, more fully. It's a big picture zoom out perspective, but it, it's everything, all of it, right? The environment around us, our health, our well-being. It's, I mean, I think if anything, right now, we are living through a moment where we cannot deny that we are deeply, intricately connected. Humans are our own ecosystem, right? And we're looking yeah. at how our biologies are being ravaged by by this viral pandemic that is spreading precisely because of the different ways we are interconnected and the structures that we've built, but also naturally and inherently. In you know a planet so dominated by this singular species, it's so foolish to assume that there are only two kinds. Oh yeah, you know, oh and gosh. that's mm -hmm. where that's where this idea of biological diversity to me seems so important because trans people and everyone under the trans umbrella represent like an evolution of understanding in terms of the types of human beings that can like exist on a spectrum. I don't know. I'm just I'm just like kind of testing this out for myself, but I'm always trying to figure out how to how to think across movements, figure out like, OK, well, how does my quest for trans liberation intersect with trans border issues and immigrant rights and the environment and species protection and water protection? And because to me, fundamentally, these are all in a way trans issues. Fully. I mean, yeah, nothing exists in a bubble. Yeah. If you think you have a clean and dry, you're doing it wrong. No. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Fully. I love that. OK, so now let's take a 
back to a world where everything seems easy to digest, but is perhaps a bit more tumultuous on the inside than it appears on the exterior. We are talking about the world of daytime TV. So there dun, is dun, dun. a rumor. I know. Bum, bum, bum. There's a rumor going around that The Ellen Show may not come back once her contract expires, which is coming up soon. And apparently Kelly Clarkson is being looked at to fill that spot, which sounds lovely. But, you know, the whole conversation surrounding The Ellen Show has been tough. We know Ellen is a trailblazer for representation, but has also faced accusations of workplace harassment on set and has faced criticism for spending time with people like George W. Bush or offering Kevin Hart a platform to defend his homophobic jokes by calling queer people haters, right? Sometimes our our own icons are people with faults and they are complicated and there are things we appreciate they've done and there are things we don't like. All that is to say, we may no longer have the Ellen Show around in a little bit, which means very broadly speaking, one less member of the LGBTQ community hosting a show. Although we all know Kelly Clarkson is a de facto gay icon. (laughs) So Shakina, let's say NBC calls you up. Well, first they're like connecting his back for a season two and we made a mistake. And then they're like, we liked you in it so much. We want you to decide who is hosting a new daytime talk show. Who is your unproblematic fave to champion LGBTQ representation in daytime TV? I mean, I think I would just be like, I'm available. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I love it. You've got the one name. You need. You just yeah. need a really strong one name for a daytime talk show. Ricky Shakina. Oprah. Exactly. I see it. Yeah. I think people would tune in, you know. I would. I'd have a good time and I wouldn't make people dance. You know, I'd come <laughs> up with, I'd have another shtick, I'm sure. God, let it be a trans person, you know. And if it's not me, then let it be a trans woman of color. Keeping fingers crossed, but oh man. I know, I just, that's a tall TV order. Moves real slow. I, yeah. I know, I know. But you know, but at the same time, RuPaul had <laughs> an afternoon talk show in like the 90s yeah. on mainstream television, you know? And my whole adventure as of late has been like trying to figure out how this sort of queer, punk rock, rebel trans woman can like reach across the aisle and be the new best trans friend for all the folks who were afraid of me. I mean, I feel like that's what I started to do with connecting and where I think I'm going in terms of my career trajectory, you know, developing a a new sitcom where I can be in those living rooms all the time and hanging out with people and just demystifying and diffusing that fear. So a spot like Ellen's is so valuable Mm -hmm. because it's not just like a lifestyle brand. She is creating accessibility that wasn't there before. And when people have a little more familiarity with queer folk or with trans folk, it just takes the fear away. So much of this legislation and of course these hate crimes, it's all just rooted in fear and ignorance. So let's have a trans person hanging out five days a week in the living room of these conservative people, making them laugh, making them smile and getting over themselves. I love that. We're going to figure out a way to pitch this because truly (laughs) it is a long past time. All right. So, Shakina, I have two more things I would love to do with you. Before I let you go, we're going to talk about three categories in the QWERTY Awards this year. But before we do that, I am Mm -hmm. going to play a little game that I have played with every guest called Let Me Get You Cancelled. And the way this works is that I will introduce something from the week, a terrible take, a bad tweet, uh, something we all should clearly disagree with and make my guests defend it. And today, I would like to give you a choice. So option number one, based on your role of Lola, the lovable conspiracy theorist, defend a conspiracy theory in five reasons. So maybe like the earth is flat or lizard people walk among us. 
And the second option is, based on your tweet insisting we should never have to live in a world where a Harry Potter TV show means transphobe and mediocre author J.K. Rowling gets more money, defend five ways it would be okay to create a Harry Potter TV show. So your options are either defend a conspiracy theory or defend a Harry Potter TV show. Wow. I mean... Bush did 9-11, but I don't have to go into all that. So let me just talk about Harry Potter. (laughs) So I think, I think that jet fuel can't melt steel beams. And I think that Lola's here. Harry Potter would be acceptable if there were a trans showrunner and a trans writer's room, Mm -hmm. if there were a trans character on the show played by a trans actor, if there were a clause in the contract that J.K. Rowling gets none of the money from the show, if there were a separate clause that a percentage of the proceeds raised by the show would go to the Transgender Legal Defense Fund, and if the show no matter what service it ends up on, was free for trans people and cis people had to pay more. Ding, ding, ding. Number five is a real spicy one, and I like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to pay for the bad TV show if it means you get to watch it and cackle about the other four points being met at home. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, folks, that was perhaps less a let me get you canceled and and more figure out a way to make the impossible possible <laughs> um, with Shakita Nafak. That was five reasons a Harry Potter TV show could be an acceptable decision in this day and age. So thank you for playing that today. My pledge. All right, but Shakita, before I let you go, we've got one more thing I would love to ask you about, and these are the upcoming Queerty Awards. We've got some categories that we are unveiling. Three new ones that I would love to talk about today. And a reminder to our listeners, the Queerty Award nominations are live right now, and you can all go vote for your favorite nominees at Queerty.com slash Queerties 2021. Q-U-E-E-R-T-I-E-S. 2021. So let's talk about some of these categories. I will go over all the nominees. And if there are any that stand out to you, let me know. So this category is a bit smaller. There are only five nominees. And it is the Innovator Award. A queer person or a trans person who has blazed trails, innovated in industry, and maybe, you know, made the world a little easier for LGBTQ people who are following in their footsteps. So these nominees are Jay Rodriguez from the original Queer Eye. We've got Shangela of RuPaul's Drag Race fame, entertainer, drag queen extraordinaire. We've got Isis Mm -hmm. King, who originally appeared on America's Next Top Model and leveraged that opportunity into a truly incredible acting career and modeling career. Love Isis. We've also got Cameron Esposito, an incredible comedian who has made me laugh more times than I could repay ever. We've also got James Bland, who is a TV showrunner and the showrunner of the Emmy Award winning series Giants. So those are our five nominees for the Innovator Award. Who is your favorite horse in this race, so to speak? I want to say Isis because I feel like when in doubt, put your money behind black trans women. Yes. (laughs) I think Isis was maybe one of the first trans folks I ever saw on my television through Top Model, which in retrospect is maybe a shame because that show was awfully transphobic sometimes. And the way Isis dealt with with it was with the utmost professionalism and she really didn't have to. Yeah. But I've never stopped seeing her on on my television or on the internet and she's worked so tirelessly to entertain and educate. She might be one of my favorites in this category, maybe along with Cameron. I think those might be my my top two. 
Yeah, and and I also just do want to give Shangela her flowers for the ways that she has spun what might have been seen as a failure into like the greatest career success of all time. That's a very good point. Yeah, that All-Stars was brutal, that twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for that, she is an award-winning innovator in my, in my book. Awesome. I love that. Okay, so we're rooting for the folks who are spinning trauma into gold and have lasting That's careers. Right. Yes, I love it. So those are our picks for the Innovator Award. Next, we've got a best performance in a digital series. And I know that you are working in the digital series world, usually in, in, in voiceover capacity. So I'm wondering if you recognize any of these nominees. I am familiar with one of them, although I'm very biased. They're a friend of mine and performer. But let's go over them. Let me know if any of these series or nominees stand out to you. So let's take a look at the nominees for performance in a digital series. We've got Mitch Hera, who is nominated for a series called Smothered. We've got Kevin Spiritas in After Forever. We've got Vico Ortiz in These Thems. Got Jason Stewart in Smothered. Jayla Rocks in Gayish 2. Summer Spiro in Platonic. Will Bransky in The First. Tim Spencer in Ding Dong, I'm Gay. I haven't seen that, but I love that title and I'm gonna watch it now. Gretchen Wilder in These Thems and Charles Curtis Sanders in The First. There are 10 nominees there. Do any of those digital series or performers stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of These Thems. Me too. I watched the whole series. I think it's so much fun. I think it's like a bold point of view we haven't seen before. I mean, Gretchen created it and stars in it. So I think she'd get my vote. Totally. To me, it's definitely a tie between Gretchen and Vico. So Vico's actually a Puerto Rican performer that I had the pleasure of meeting at a live comedy show. I had never met them before. I was so blown away. They did like a Puerto Rican burlesque number and my life was never the same. And we've got one more category and this one's really, really difficult. It's Lockdown LOL. So a performer in a specific project that has really made you laugh during this pandemic lockdown. We've got Patty Harrison in Yearly Departed. We've got Simon Amstel in Secrets to Happy Life. We've got Bowen Yang, specifically his appearance on SNL's Weekend Update as Chen Biao. We've got Jinx Monsoon and Ben Della Creme in Jinx and Della's Holiday Special. We got Fortune Feimster in Sweet and Salty. We got Jack Plotnick in Disney Made a Small World. Kate McKinnon, specifically for her depiction of Rudy Giuliani, which is maybe more terrifying than it is funny. We've got Wanda Sykes in Hates the Bachelor. We've got Cola Scola in their video Help I'm Stuck, which is also so good. And we've got Julio Torres giving us an update on his shapes. So, Shakina, <laughs> who are some of your favorites in this category? I mean, Bo and Ying and Kate McKinnon have my heart. They're so great. But I ride or die for Cola Scola. I had the privilege of seeing Help, I'm Stuck live twice at Joe's Pub. It is such a good show. And the fact that he was able to make it into a special by himself in his apartment is just mind-blowing. His characters and his sketches are so funny and so alive and so well thought out. So smart. Yeah, I just stand him so hard. He's literally the funniest human being I've ever worked with when we would have scenes together in Difficult People I had to like stab myself with the corner of the counter like my thumb (laughs) was like wedged on the counter and like stare at him with fire in my eyes just to not break because he was so funny all the time oh I love that okay yeah truly I also uh, did not know that Cole had essentially turned this Joe's Pub show into a one-hour special I haven't seen it yet. I'm dying to. Yeah, it was a live cabaret. It was amazing. Yeah, Ugh. you have to see it. The, the okay. characters that, that he creates are so good. And the situations that he creates for these characters, they're just like only from the mind of Cola Scola. Truly. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So those were Lockdown LOL, 
Best Performance in a Digital Series, and uh, the Innovator Award, truly one of the, the most coveted there. Shakina, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Queerty Pod. I am so honored and thrilled that you were a part of today's show. And I'm just so thankful for your insight, for your humor, and for all the work you've been doing during the pandemic to keep us entertained and thinking about the world. So thanks so much. Thanks, Gabe. It's a huge pleasure and privilege to be here with you. I love what you're doing for queer journalism and entertainment. And I love following you on the socials. So I'll just, I'll see you on there. Thanks so much. Yes, truly yeah. our digital selves, our best representations. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so Shakina, before we go, where can people find you online and where can people find some of your most recent projects? So my play, Chambori International Hotel and Butterfly Club is available on Audible. You can go to audible.com slash Chambori. And then both Difficult People and Connecting are up on Hulu. You can also find Connecting on Peacock or like wherever you get your streaming shows. And then I'm actually going to be joining a new cool indie animated series coming up soon called Worse Than Rebels, part of like a goth girl group of spirited faiths. That should be cool. So look for that. You can follow them on Instagram at Worse Than Rebels. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you can follow me, your host, Gabe Gonzalez, on Twitter or Instagram using the handle Gaybones, G-A-Y-B-O-N-E-Z. And please make sure to follow Queerty on those platforms as well and support the Queerty podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our show right now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, you can leave us five stars. I would love to read a review. You know, keep it honest, but keep it cute. Yeah. I'm sure you enjoyed today's episode. I love being here with Shakina. I love it too. <laughs> also, I'm Shakines on every platform. S-H-A-K-E-E-N-Z. So if you just want me, if it's me you're after, you can find me there. I can't believe we almost forgot. That's of course. All right. The only follow I've never regretted. <laughs> and you can get your QWERTY fix every day at QWERTY.com. QWERTY has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. QWERTY is hosted by Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shireen Lonnie Younes, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Monson.